Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have David Apple, Head of Customer Success at Notion. In this episode, we talked about the conflict between sales and customer success and how it can be avoided, what the leading indicators of retention are at Typeform versus Notion, and how Typeform's CS team segments its customers based on their retention rate to help prioritize, appoint resources, and make decisions. We also discussed why Suno is not always better, the low-touch and high-touch onboarding setup at Typeform and Notion, and why the two companies waited a long time to invest a single dollar in custom acquisition, plus more. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, David, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. For the listeners, David is the head of customer success at Notion. Uh, Notion is the all-in-one workspace that serves small startups to Fortune 500 companies. At their last funding round in April, they were valued at over $2 billion, and their growth looks like it has no end in sight. Prior to Notion, David was the general manager of the U.S. market and VP of customer success and sales at Typeform. So my first question for you, David, is what do you think is the biggest problem in the relationship between sales and success in an organization? Starting with a tough question first. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, the there doesn't need to be conflict between sales and CS. And I think the conflict arises based on uh, how the interactions between the teams are structured and the systems that are built around the teams, like what metrics they uh, care about, et cetera. And so at Typeform, as you mentioned, I ran both sales and CS, and I was able to, to control that and make sure that the sales team was incentivized, not just based on closing a deal, but making sure that the deal that they closed was still paying several months later. And that made sure that there was alignment between sales where they close the deal. They're not just trying to hand off and move on. They're making sure that the customer that they closed is uh, taken care of well and set up for success, uh, obviously in collaboration with customer success. And at Notion, the way we did it is the sales team is responsible for obviously closing the deals and also responsible for the expansion revenue. And the customer success team is responsible for uh, generating those expansion opportunities. So the same way that marketing will have like uh, MQLs, like marketing qualified leads that they hand over to sales. In, in customer success, we have this concept of customer success qualified leads, 
where we're working with an account, helping build that, well, help them make them successful and hopefully expanding them. And then once we've generated that expansion opportunity, we hand it over to sales. So there's a lot of positive collaboration where we're all working towards the same goal rather than what happens in some cases where it becomes a little territorial and it's, that's my customer, I want to keep them, or that's my revenue, I should get the commission on that. And so I think really it's about building the right systems to make sure that the teams work well. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. The, the the customer success qualified lead concept as well. And it, the, is the idea as well for success not to be involved in sales to protect the relationship that they have with their customer, so to make it less of a transactional nature and relationship, and more about uh, making sure they get good adoption, that they're using the tool, getting the most out of it, and then when they are, can hand them over to somebody to do the closing. Yeah, precisely. So the customer success team. When they're when the sales team is selling to a new customer and they're explaining what a CSM will do for them, they can say that the CSM has no incentive and actually like not commission. There, there's no variable to the CSM's comp, uh, which is true, and that makes the CSM just fully aligned on making the customer successful, and that's the metrics that we're working off of, uh, rather than CSMs that are comped on expansion where the relationship is not a full like trusting consultants that's there for the customer. So yeah, uh, that's definitely part of it. Nice. I'm also interested in as well, like in the parallels and the differences that you, between the two companies of Typeform and Notion. Uh, and in my mind, like the, the way I see it as well is the, the types of customers that you have potentially in both types of business would differ, like who the ideal customer profile is. The use cases, I think we discussed this as well uh, previously, but with Typeform, I think maybe you get a lot more once-off use cases where with uh, at Notion, it's more once you get into Notion, it's vested and then it becomes your source of reference and like your operating system for the company. So the I think churn and retention definitely would assume that it's vastly different in terms of nature of talking about benchmarking, which I think is the worst thing to do when it comes to your attention. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think comparing the two types of businesses and the two use cases and the way that the product is used and consumed, that would be vastly different. And then I'm assuming as well, then the customer success and the way they operate uh, is also completely different. Am I getting this wrong? Or is this uh, something that you see yourself and the way that you operate both teams differently? It's, It's a good question. And you're pretty much spot on. I guess one of the big similarities between Typeform and Notion, and I think one of the reasons uh, I was recruited to Notion, is that they're both very horizontal products where there's some depth to it in the sense that it's easy to, it's easy to get to start using Notion and it's easy to start you know, creating a basic form or survey in Typeform. But there are very advanced use cases that you can do and you can go quite deep in the product. But also, we, there's a lot of different personas that can use Notion and a lot of different personas that can use Typeform. And the use cases for each persona are going to be quite different. So uh, from a customer success perspective and also from a sales perspective, it's not just selling to one persona and selling one or two or three use cases. It's literally uh, selling and making successful a very broad range of, of different profiles. And also there's quite a bit of depth. And so that's, that's part of what was very appealing to me at Notion is I think there's a lot of value to bring from the customer success perspective just as there was a type form in helping people discover new use cases that they hadn't thought of and also helping them get deeper in the product. Yeah, I found that uh, very interesting. Sorry, you, I cut you there. Thanks. No, sorry. So I, I was going to say that's, that's like the biggest similarity between the two products. 
as you mentioned, one of the big differences is just the frequency of use and, and use cases. So at Typeform, we never looked at daily active users. It's not a relevant metric for Typeform because you don't need to log into Typeform every day. Of course, some people do, but it's not the most telling metric. Whereas in Notion, people live in Notion. In fact, when I was at Typeform, I also lived in Notion because we, we use Notion at Typeform. And, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, so the Typeform, the frequency of usage was not necessarily a, a great leading indicator to retention. Whereas uh, at Notion, it's probably one of the best leading indicators of how healthy uh, one of our accounts are. That's interesting. So really like your, obviously the retention metric then is based off the frequency of usage and uh, just between the two products, like the area that you focus differs completely based on the user's natural usage behavior. I think this is something as well, sometimes we often try to over-optimize for and we try to say, okay, like we need to get them to be doing things more but if you're doing that outside of your natural frequency that's never going to work and it's going to be a waste of effort and time if somebody's not got that pain or that need at that moment in time nothing you do to try and prompt them or promote them is going to get them back in the, yeah, I, yeah i think there's i think that's uh, true in, in most instances i think one thing that i learned at typeform was while the frequency of usage was not a good leading indicator the best leading indicator to retention was the number of use cases people use Typeform for. And I believe that's also, we, we don't have the, the data on it yet, but uh, I believe that's also a good leading indicator for, for Notion. And therefore, the goal was not necessarily to get people to log in more frequently, but the goal was to inspire people to do more than they exactly. initially signed up to do. Yep, this was actually going to be my next question uh, oh. is because uh, I think uh, like one of the excellent ways as well of increasing retention is always to find and expand use cases for your customer. And a mm -hmm. lot of times uh, somebody who comes to your product today has a specific problem today. A year from mm -hmm. now, that problem changes and their needs change and being able to transition them into different use cases and educate them on better ways and new ways to use a product is always going to be an excellent way to keep them hooked. So I'm mm -hmm. interested in this because you meant to mention both products are pretty horizontal and mm -hmm. there's like almost limitless amounts of ways that the products can be used and for different use cases. So mm -hmm. how did you as a customer success team start by trying to figure out which areas were going to be best to focus on, which personas, which use cases, and maybe just starting at uh, Typeform because I think that's probably one of the more challenging areas, but there's literally so many different ways you can use forms like how did you go about figuring this out as a CS team and as a company as well? Yeah, uh, yeah, great question. I, I can share our approach with, with both companies, but uh, as you suggested, I can start with Typeform. So the, the way we, we went about it was actually a very data-driven approach. So what we did is we, we first segmented our customers and put them into buckets based on what their retention rate was. So we, anybody who churned within the first three months, which was actually when most of our churn occurred, we, could, we put in a bucket called one-offs. Anybody who churned between three months and a year, we called them casual. Anybody who stuck around for more than a year, we called them sticky. And then once we have customers, uh, like historic data about customers who churned during different times in those buckets, we were able to look at what, was the be what were the behaviors that these uh, types of customers did differently from one another and start determining what behaviors we want to make sure that we're driving, be it uh, what features they're using or combination of features they're using or what's the repetitive behavior, like I mentioned, creating more and more type forms were the best leading indicators to retention. So that was one thing in terms of driving behavior. And the other thing was based on those buckets, we could start creating ideal customer profiles. 
So we would look at uh, a company, a, a customer who signs up from a certain company size or a certain department or with a certain use case, how likely are they to fall in each of those buckets? And basically what profile is most likely to be sticky versus casual versus one-off? And what we realized is a lot of times people come in with already their idea in mind that they're just going to do a one-off use case. Like they come in to create a survey and they only have a survey that they have to run once a year. Uh, that's a lot harder customer to retain and ultimately less valuable customer to acquire uh, than the customers who are using us as uh, be it like a contact form or something like that is a more ongoing use case. Uh, I'll pause there. Does all that make sense? Yep, it does. Uh, and then from there, what did it look like? So you started out uh, really quantitatively. Uh, I like as well that there's a bucket, uh, like you mentioned, first three months, uh, what is it, 90 days and then beyond. But really segmenting those from that, I'm assuming as well, then you mentioned like the ideal customer profile being somebody who was a sticky and looking at their use case and behaviors. What did you do with that information then as a customer success team? Like how did you act on this within the company? Yeah. Did this mean product changes? Did this mean different ways that you onboarded customers or uh, did you have any sort of special treatment that you gave specific types of customers that came through? Yeah, uh, great question. All of the above. The, the first thing that we did is created a different experience for different profiles of customers. So we knew that because we also had a churn survey and we learned that people who churned tended to be happy with the product, but they churned because they didn't have another use case. So our job was to figure out how do we inspire people to do the next use case. And the next use case, just sending a generic email about these are the things you can do with Typeform if it's obviously going to be different use cases if you're in a marketing team versus a customer success team versus a product team. So what we started doing is uh, tailoring those, those messages to the persona and also making sure that we were engaging with them at the right time because we found that if we tried to inspire them to do uh, another use case before they even completed their initial use case, they're not particularly interested in discovering more. Whereas when they were successful with their first use case, that was the best time to engage with them and suggest the next use case. So the way we did that is we looked at how frequently they're collecting results in their type form. And as we saw the rate of collecting responses decline, that's when we would engage with them and suggest the next use case. So yeah, that, I love that, that insight. Like how did you come to that as well? Trial and error is the, yeah. we had an experimentation culture in our team where we like anybody who had an idea could just, try to run with it and we try to see what the outcome was. The first thing we did was actually the generic email of we had a, a blog post of 21 ways Typeform uses Typeform and we started sharing that with people and then when we saw that was actually helping I think we saw an 18% if my memory serves me 18% uplift in people creating another Typeform that received that wow. that email when we AB tested it and then we started tailoring it to the specific personas. So that was our or flow. Very cool. And I think interesting as well, the point that you made that the timing is really important. Because uh, yeah. I think this is a lot of times like you, we see mistakes made is like you sign up for a product and immediately you sign up, you get prompted with a message to invite your colleagues or team members. Mm -hmm. um, and this is like one of those cases where it's typically just a very bad time to do it. So a lot of times like you're asking somebody to share their social capital within an organization before they've even uh, made sure that this is a good product for them uh, and themselves. And just like making sure you focus the right timing, that could be when they get their first success or win rate or aha moment 
like success is better shared together. It's just a much mm-hmm. better point in time to do these things. So I think a lot of times like we look at data, but then really thinking through like that qualitative experience is so important to understand like when is going to be a good time for this person to take the next action and not when I think it is, but really when's going mm-hmm. to be the best time for it. Uh, yeah. And to, to your point, sooner is not always better. Uh, it, it's more based on their behavior, what's the right timing for it. So I agree with you. Exactly. And the next thing I wanted to ask as well is from a customer success perspective, I think like both companies must have huge numbers of customers. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think as well that even now at uh, Notion, like growing so fast, is your customer success that you focus on like predominantly uh, self-serve or do you also have a high touch model that you introduce for specific customers? Yeah, th- that's a great question. This is one of the big differences between uh, Typeform and Notion in, in my experience there. So at Typeform, we were very deliberately focusing on SMBs and therefore there was little appetite to go up market and build the features that we needed to go up market like single sign-on and et cetera. And uh, therefore our initial approach was everything needed to be scalable and we built the low touch and tech touch before we built the high touch uh, function. At Notion, it's literally the the opposite in the sense that we're fortunate Notion to not have uh, a, a retention problem. We actually have over 100% net retention uh, across the business. And the opportunity was more we have several, like at the beginning, we only had several. Now we have many customers with over a thousand seats. And the, the goal there was how do we help those customers be more successful? How do we acquire more customers like that? And how do we convert the customers that have the potential to, to grow wall to wall and to have thousands of seats? How do we help them along that journey? So uh, from that perspective, at Notion, we started with high touch and that's still where we are today. We haven't yet started going down market uh, to the low touch and tech touch. And we were doing everything high touch with our largest enterprise customers. Interesting. And how does that scale though then uh, as well as one question that I had in mind? Yeah, it, it, the, Great question. So I think there's two aspects to the scaling of it. One is we do want to scale our high touch and that's with the right tooling and the right processes, which we're putting in place. And the other aspect of scaling it is how do we take the learnings from the engagement that we have with the high touch customers and then scale that in low touch. And uh, the approach there is basically uh, taking our customer journey breaking it down into the stages of onboarding, adoption, renewal, expansion, et cetera. And for each stage, determining what does success look like for our customers at that stage. And then based on that, what touch points do we want to have with our customers? And then when we have those touch points, right now we're having them one-to-one with our customers. Through that, we'll learn which touch points are helpful, which ones are less helpful, how to best communicate the value of certain things to customers. And then we'll take those learnings and make them one-to-many. So then convert that one-to-one conversation into an email or a webinar or you yeah. know, a video, something like that, and, and make that one-to-many. So that's the strategy that we're following at Notion. Interesting. So then I can imagine as well, like for the two businesses, when it comes to like the average revenue per account, this is um, a making assumption here, but probably vastly different between the two. Is that correct? And this is also maybe one of the areas why you can afford to spend a bit more time on the high touch side, even though you have a low price for both in the starting entry points, 
I'm assuming that over time, like you say, with uh, net negative churn and like growing seats, like having customers up to a thousand, it probably looks vastly different the two businesses uh, with the customers. Yeah, exactly. The overall average revenue per customer is not necessarily that different, but the segment that we're focused on in customer success is, I, I notion is a lot higher. Yeah, is it a lot yeah which, higher? which allows us to justify, as you said, the kind of white glove treatment we offer them. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think this perspective, like from a go-to-market strategy as well, thinking through like how you price and package the product, uh, because seemingly at the surface, I think both products like look cheap to get started. But from like expansion, I guess, from that perspective, there's a lot clearer path for you to have an uh, like expansion where it really scales as the organization and company size grows, where I'm mm-hmm. not sure it's the same scenario at Typeform where pricing probably doesn't scale as large as the company grows. And it probably was maybe a lot harder to uh, expand revenue from an existing customer at Typeform as opposed right. to Notion where it's like just natural that the larger the company, the more seats they bring on, the bigger the business grows. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's basically, you're right. And that's basically a function of what industry these different products are in. For Typeform, we, we did see some large accounts and we did have a high-touch team. Uh, it was just a little bit smaller, relatively speaking. And that's largely because there wasn't that much value at the time in adding another seat. So a lot of what we saw, actually a lot of more than what we would have liked, and it went against our terms of service, but we saw a lot of people just sharing logins because there wasn't, like I said, there wasn't that much value in um, paying for an extra seat. Whereas Notion being a productivity tool, everybody should have their own login and their own content and everything. And therefore, there is actually a lot of value in, in having each employee have their own seat. Yeah. Uh, And that's interesting. I think also as well, like the two parallels, like a lot of similarities that they share, but then, uh, and you don't have to give me specific figures or tell me if you don't want to answer this question, but when it comes to customer acquisition costs uh, as well, then was it quite different in terms of the cost to acquire a signup and a customer for the two businesses being that the one becomes like the center operating system business and the other one's more of those once of use cases and more frequent. Like, do you see a big difference on that side? So actually what's interesting is neither, both Typeform and Notion waited a lot longer than most businesses to invest a a single dollar in customer acquisition outside of like a sales team. And the reason for that is both products uh, have an inherent viral loop. Yeah. And and that was basically the main driver of acquisition for, for both of these products i can't really comment on that i don't actually know the figures to be perfectly honest yeah but that makes sense as well we've actually we've hosted uh, pedro before as well mm-hmm. uh, who's a growth attack from the early days and we talked yeah. a lot about that in one of the early episodes around the growth and the viral loop uh, that the type form had as well but interesting like you said that both of them really didn't spend much on paid to begin with and leverage that viral component uh, nice so What's one thing like when it comes to churn and retention that today that you didn't know before getting started at Typeform and Notion that you think like you wish you'd known when you got started? I guess two things come to mind. The first one is, so before becoming in charge of customer success, my career had been sales and I was used to owning a a number and my performance was based on uh, achieving or surpassing that number. And switching to customer success, I was excited to have churn be my number because it was a big, important metric for Typeform. 
And, and me being the owner of churn for a while helped motivate me and motivate my team. But eventually what we realized is that there's a lot of aspects of churn that a customer success team or a customer support team or et cetera can't control. Are we bringing in the right customers? As I mentioned before, like with the ideal customer profile and do we have the right product for the customers that we're bringing in? And ultimately I think that me owning churn uh, actually ended up shooting me in the foot because when I wanted to uh, get cross-functional projects prioritized or get features prioritized, it was really hard to get other teams to prioritize it when it wasn't one of their the metrics that they were meant to care about. And so what we ended up doing is making, we switched that. So churn became a company-wide metric. I created a churn task force that was cross-functional and, and we discussed how important churn was, not just as like a churn in and of itself, but also because of our viral loop. How much viral loop do we lose each time someone churns? How does churn affect our LTV to CAC ratio, which ultimately affects like how much we can invest in acquisition and how much it limits our growth in general. And that really made churn important to everybody. And, and we were able to make more progress together than I could have ever made uh, on my own with just like my function your customer success yeah i think this is a mistake like we uh, hear quite a lot and like obviously uh, most of the fastest growing companies i speak to they all have this realization that churn shouldn't be owned by a single team and uh, it's really like you have a subscription business and if people are canceling their subscription you don't have a business so it's sure. really should be a metric that everybody cares about and uh, interesting as well that you went through that education process as well of because i think there's something similar we did at hotjar was really trying to educate the whole team on what churn mm -hmm. and retention is and why it's important and what their specific role has to do with it because i think a lot of the times, like when you have high level metrics like this and you're reporting at a company level, like people feel detached from them because it's quite difficult to see, okay, like what does my role have to do with this metric? Like how do mm -hmm. I actually influence this? And a lot of times just having a simple, really good education, like you said, like on discussing how this impacts the viral loop, how it impacts the LTV to CAC ratio, and then giving maybe specific examples to each team member of the role mm -hmm. and job that you do, how it impacts churn and retention. I think that is a tipping and changing point in a company to get everybody behind it. but. Interesting. Like, and now, how do you see it at uh, Notion? Is it some of the mindset that uh, you have there now that you brought with you, or uh, I think you mentioned earlier as well, like churn. Uh, I mean, retention's not probably a high priority at this point in time. But how do you see it there? Yeah, yeah it, at Notion, we we have a more holistic approach to it. So more along the lines of where we ended up at at Typeform, but given our growth rate and given the fact that our 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 Net retention is above 100% or we have negative net churn. It hasn't been a focus point. We did see recently with COVID uh, a slight increase in churn and contractions. And uh, we did do an analysis, which again, I, I did lead, but it wasn't, my team wasn't expected to solve the problem on our own, where it was reaching out to customers who churned with 10 seats or more and trying to understand what happened and trying to get on a call with them. And actually our founders joined a few of those calls to, to learn as well. And, and what we found was a lot of that churn was actually what we would consider unavoidable in yeah. the sense that it, it was uh, COVID driven and it was either COVID driven or we also launched an, a free nonprofit and plan. And actually a lot of our customers turned out to be nonprofits that switched to that and, and our Stripe, like our billing system saw them as churn because they went from a paid plan to a free plan. Yeah. 
that makes sense. Uh, and I think as well from that perspective, like I think COVID itself, we spoke about this quite a bit, but it just accelerated the inevitable uh, for a lot of companies and a lot of businesses. So if you had a churn problem before, like just uh, COVID just highlighted that and uh, it really stuck out. But I think in your case, it's something different from what you're describing as well. It was really just a matter of something that was unavoidable. Maybe companies just mm-hmm. weren't no longer in function and that's not your thing. I think this is something we talk about as well in an episode with Emmerich, where he talked about the concept of segmenting churn that you can control versus can't control. Because uh, mm-hmm. a lot of times, like when teams work on churn, they go off and say, okay, our churn is 5%, 10%, whatever the number is. And they try to set targets against that number without even realizing what's within their control and what's not. So yeah. doing a good exercise of just saying, okay, 50% of our churn comes from businesses shutting down. There's nothing we're going to do as a company to help these businesses from shutting down unless yeah. that's your business. <laughs> but that's probably unrealistic to say that then you're going to go and reduce churn by 50% because you've basically yeah. just got to solve everything then. So, uh, Yeah, we we had the same approach at Typeform. We, it's often hard to automatically qualify if an account is destined to churn or if they churn because of something else. But we saw SaaS Talk, which is a big conference, and I, I happen to know them quite well. They had their conference at the beginning just once a year, and they used Typeform for a specific aspect of their conference. And so in between the conferences, of course, they're going to churn, and it wouldn't make sense for them to keep paying. And yet it still counts as, as the churn, but really it's just they're pausing their payment until the next event when they intended to use Typeform again. Yeah, I think. And, and what I also um, heard of some companies do is if people churn within the first month, they attribute that as uh, a failed trial rather than churn. And, and I thought that was an interesting approach. I, at first, I was like, that's cheating because that would make Failed activation. Really good. Like, yeah. yeah, but ultimately, it's because it's obviously they didn't get the value that they were hoping out of the product. And, uh, and they were, so they tried it, they paid, and they didn't get the value, and they churned. Um, as opposed to, which is a very different type of churn than someone who's been using your product for six, nine, 12 months and then churns. Absolutely. And there's different ways you go about trying to solve it too as well. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. I see we're running up on time. So there's one question I ask every guest that joins the show. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now that you join a new company and churn and retention is not doing great at this company. And you've been asked by the CEO to try and turn things around for them but you only have 90 days to try and prove yourself and get some results. What would you want to do with those first 90 days? I would certainly start by speaking with customers. I would want to speak with customers who didn't churn and I would want to speak with customers who did churn and probably I would want to speak with new customers to understand what, how they would define success with our tool and track if, if they're achieving that. But yeah, obviously that depends if they're getting value within 90 days or not, which I, you would hope so. So the first thing would be speaking to customers to understand what's going on, because I think just looking at data doesn't tell the whole story. That said, then I would look at data and look at you know what behaviors the best customers are doing. As I mentioned, we did a type form where segment them and see what behaviors are driving retention and what lack of behaviors maybe are driving churn. And then I guess uh, take it from there. <laughs> but uh, I, th- I, I think there's no silver bullet, as we discussed previously, but there's no silver bullet and this is the way to reduce churn for a company 
uh, Acme that was a hypothetical company. Uh, I really think that you need to speak to customers. You need to understand your industry, your product, their, your customers' desired outcomes with your product. And only then can you really figure out like what you need to solve for. So for me, it would just be speak to your customers. Yeah, absolutely. I think really starting with diagnosing and understanding uh, the problem. Uh, I like that you threw in, there's no silver bullets to, to solving it. And it's really mm-hmm. uh, many different ways. I didn't realize that Acme was a made up company uh, as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those ones used everywhere. Nice. So yeah, David, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Is there any sort of final thoughts you want to leave the the audience with before we drop off? Like how can they keep up to speed with what you're working on? Anything they should be aware of? Nothing in particular <laughs> comes to mind. Thanks. Yeah. I just became a dad three months ago. Congratulations and, uh, again. So thanks. Thanks. So this is my first kind of public thing in, in a while and I'm going to be investing probably less time than I used to in writing blog posts or sharing stuff. But but I do have a Twitter account where I retweet things that I like. So feel free to follow me there. But yeah, I, I probably won't be particularly active over the next few months. Thanks. Honored that you joined the show then in that case as well. But uh, a lot of it's an exciting time definitely for you now having young one. I myself as well have a 13 month old baby and just each and every single yeah. day they get cuter and each and every single day they <laughs> do more and like you, you wonder to yourself like this is just really amazing can you love them anymore each day so you do yeah cutting times ahead you're spot on uh yeah we get well, that's a whole other uh podcast episode podcast uh, on itself. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah cool. thanks thanks a lot for having me it was a pleasure yeah thank you and best of luck going forward cheers And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.